second edition. You know, he, he, um, he taught for years at a university. He has multiple practices, five kids, lots and lots of grandkids. And, and the thing is, after a while, you start thinking, what about me? You know, what have I done? What have I established? You know, I've, got, I've only got four kids. You know? um, you know, what about my work? Where am I going? Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to have a midlife crisis in front of you this morning. But it did get me to thinking that much of what we do in life is about trying to establish ourselves. It's about trying to get some sort of stability of, our, of life. And having that stability, it often helps us to do things that really make a difference. I mean, think about it. We often try and establish ourselves through people, don't we? Through, through um, where, we, where we spend our time. So where we live, you know, we step spend a lot of time with the people around us and it helps define who we are, isn't it? You ask where someone's from and once they say they're a suburb, you already sort of conjure up, you know, maybe they're a bit like this or a bit like that. Or, we, you know, try and establish ourselves through our friends. You know, in different stages, it's, it's different, isn't it? When I look at my kids and they make friends without even trying. They go to a park, they play with a kid, you ask them what's their name, they go, I don't know, just, you know, just had fun. But then as life goes on, we find it harder, don't we, in some ways? How, how do you trust people? Who do you expose yourself to? At one stage, we, we try and make as many friends as we want, don't we? We try and keep growing that you know, number of friends on, on social media to get it as you know, just that, that right number, which is not too little, but you know, not looking like too much. But then we sort of narrow it down, though, don't we, at times? We, we try and establish ourselves through that one special person, isn't it? Through that, that special partner. And after that, you know, you, if you find that person, then you have all these little people that are kind of your friends but not really that you've got to take care of, you know. And then later on, they have their little kitties, that, you know, and so on and so on. And we establish our identity through people, don't we? But we also try and establish our identity through uh, what we do, do we not? You, know, you think about, you know, I'm amazed, you know, when I look at my wife, how on earth do you, you know, run a household, you know, keep it clean, um, keep it fed, happy, safe, healthy? I mean, how do you develop all these systems of doing it this then and that and this way? And I don't know if most guys find that if you're left alone, you suddenly don't know where everything is and how that works and why do you do it that way? And you know, ah. Oh. But I think that, that all, but that also flows onto you know, path to you know, in the, in the workforce that you want to find work that, that you're good at, work that you can keep growing in, getting better at, you know, getting that next promotion, that next title, trying to establish yourself in that in that profession. And you might have noticed that you know, in this process of trying to establishing ourselves, it, does, it takes a lot of time, doesn't it? It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy. There's so many decisions to make about all these areas of where do I live, who do I spend my time with, what do I do? And that sometimes when we look at all these things, that we, we recognise that you know, it is going to be our life, isn't it? It just takes that long. I mean, think about how long it takes to make a good friend. You, know? you can't just sort of rock up into a group of people and say, you know... We best besties now, you know, good friends now, you know. It takes time, doesn't it? You know, how, how do you get into a group? Um, it can take years, can't it? You know? Or think about, you know, even where you live. Um, how long does it become? You know, do you become a local in where you live? I heard once in a in, in some country towns, you know, you move in there and you know you apparently they're saying it takes about about twenty years to become a local, you know, before they sort of accept you as you know one of the country folk. You know, you're not trusted for about 20 years. And so what my hope is this morning, just looking at 
the fact that we spend so much of our lives trying to establish ourselves that we can look through um, Psalm 90 and see how the psalmist came to this last request, this request of God to establish what he does. And and my prayer is that as we sort of look through this psalm this morning that we'll see that there is a flow of logic to how we can get to this stage where what we do and what we are is quite meaningful and has some sort of eternal value. Um, Yet at the same time, I think as we look at this logic, um, we'll also see that it's, it's... it's very different to what books we read now, but you know how we can get ourselves better and, 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 and progress in life. Um, I think when we look at this passage, in many ways it's, it's incredibly uncomfortable, um, morbid, sobering. Um, yet I think by doing the hard work and getting through that, we will have ultimately um, great assurance in this life and that we'll also have the wisdom to know how to live a truly established life. So let's, uh, let's look at this passage and um, we'll start right at the beginning, which we kind of missed a little bit, but it's all right. It's not that important. But this psalm was actually written, um, apparently, by Moses. So that first line is the prayer of Moses, the man of God. And this is a very unique attribute of this psalm, actually. There's no other psalm that was attributed to Moses. Um, we don't know, actually, when he wrote it. Um, it could have been when he was you know, the, the, the Egyptian prince or maybe a bit later on when he was uh, a shepherd in exile in Midian. Um, or some, many people think it was when he was, you know, when he was old you know, and, and just looking back at what had happened in life. Um, but whenever he wrote it, uh, we know it was written around uh, 2,500 BC. So that's around 4,500 years ago. And so it does make this text um, a very, very ancient text, does it not? Um, but then again... Um, is it ancient? Is four and a half that four and a half thousand years a long time? It depends what you compare it to, isn't it? And um, as we can see in this, see we're going to start comparing how old this psalm is to a God who is in some ways far older, but very different to us. As you can see now, sorry, in the first couple of verses. Um, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And this is where God is, we just see how God is so different to us, or how we are just so different to God, that he existed um, infinity past, before the world was made, that he is going to exist to infinity future. In fact, this is a God who even created time itself. Um, in some of the, the systematic theology textbooks, they call a God timeless. Um, not in the sense that you know you have a really nice watch, which they say you know is timeless because you know it looks really nice and it'll always be fashionable and it'll never break. But it's God is timeless in the sense that time—he's um, not bound by time. He actually created time. That time is uh, completely something that is under His control. I mean, you think about it. There was actually a time when there wasn't time. And God was there. I don't understand all this. But what I, what I do know is that God is just so different to us, is he not, in how he looks at time. But not only that, not only is this timelessness of God something that's so different, how God sees the past and the future is also very different to us. We see a God who um, has um, a way of 
knowing everything and remembering everything. I mean, personally, I have problems nowadays, you know, remembering you know, birth, you know, every extra kid, there's another birthday to remember, you know, another anniversary to remember. Um, to be honest, I have problems remembering what I had for dinner a few nights ago. You know? To be honest, I think most of you too, too, don't you? you know? um, but we have a God who is so different, do we not? And we, 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 we read of this in verse 4, where a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone past, or like a watch in the night. For God, I don't know how it is, but a thousand years to him is just like it was yesterday. And for him, you know, not to take it literally, but in a sense, you know, well, four and a half thousand years ago for God, that was sort of around, around you know, just Tuesday afternoon, you know, about Tuesday afternoon, Psalm 90 was written, then, yeah, then two and a half thousand years later, that's when Jesus came, so that was around, around Friday, right? and um, 2,000 years later, that's today, you know. Four and a half thousand years of history for God is sort of like, yeah, that's what happened on Tuesday and then that was Jesus a couple of days ago and this is us here today. This is mind-boggling and he remembers all the details from those things and what's going to happen in the future. We have a God that is just so different, who is timeless, who knows all. And it's on this background and looking at this God that the psalmist then puts a picture of us humans. And the picture he paints is quite sobering. It's that we have a life that is so brief, is it not? And a life that is under God's wrath. Let's look at this brevity of life and how short it is. We'll just see from verse uh, 3 to 6 um, that Psalm says, You return men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day gone by or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sweep of death. They're like the new grass in the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it's dry and withered. Psalmist emphasises, I mean, not so much that, you know, as humans that we're insignificant, but that we're so transient, aren't we? It's just so fast. We, you know, we're made from dust and then we return to dust. We're sort of swept away, maybe like sweeping a floor or maybe like a flood sweeping us away. Like that, you know, that, you know, in summer when you have that nice green grass in the morning with a bit of dew on it, but, you know, after, you know, a 30 degree, 40 degree day, it's just dry and hard at the end. Life is short, isn't it? And I think sometimes uh, we do really notice this, this speed of time, this speed of life, do we not? We talk often about this unrelenting pace of life. And look, granted, look, sometimes I think, you know, time does seem a little bit slow. Um, you, know, you know, when you download speeds, you know, struggling a bit, and, you know, you're trying to get the, the file or, you know, traffic on the roads. Um, or, you know, maybe for you, you know, high school and uni kids, you know, you know when holidays first start, you can be a bit slow, you know, what should I do? You know, okay, I'll think about it. But isn't it true by the end, those holidays get quicker? Three weeks left, two weeks left, one week left, seven days left, two days left. And though I think for most parents, most holidays go pretty slow, don't they? <laughs> well, you know, for parents, isn't it? You know, some days life seems so slow, you know. There's that, 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 that word of the last I was given years ago that, you know, for, not, for kids, you know, those nights can be really long, can't they? But gee, those, those years can be really short. Um, I was also given a tip. 
Um, but, you know, that's a bit funny, but parenting is a bit like a, a round of golf. That, you know, with golf you, you have 18 holes. And um, with a kid you get about, you know, 18 years worth. And you know, my daughter's about to turn 10. I'm on the back nine. I'm just going, where's the time gone? You know, it goes so fast, doesn't it? The days can fly. The weeks can fly. The months can fly. The years can fly. And I think for many of you, you know, the decades fly too, do they not? And I think sometimes this can tend towards, you know, just an anxiousness, can it not? Sometimes a time of regrets, um, that time's been wasted or opportunities have missed, or that it can be actually a bit depressing that time actually goes by so fast. Yet I think it's a bit funny that for some, it actually almost invigorates you that life is short. Um, in my, in my middle age now, I'm trying to keep up with all the you know, shorthand versions of things so I know what's going on in text you know, with letters. And There's one that I think many might know is you know, YOLO, Y-O-L-O, which is um, um, you only live once. And it's sort of a bit, a bit of a catchphrase to you know, think about it. You only live once, life is short, well, you know, just do it. You know, do it. You, know, you only live once. Um, and though I understand that sentiment... Um, it's funny though, it's, it's, rarely, it's really about things like, um, you know, think about this, YOLO, you only live once, eat your vegetables, because then you'll be really healthy for the rest of your life, isn't it? You know? Never seen that. You know? Or YOLO, you only live once, you know, fill in your tax return correctly so you can live and sleep with a good conscience. It tends to be, isn't it? It tends to be about choices that you'd probably say probably a bit more risky or less wise. And I think... That part of the reason why there's, um, this shortness of time can either invigorate or depress is that we actually need to look at why time is so short and why, at one level, death can come so suddenly. And the main reason for that is that death is not natural and that death is a result of God's anger and his sin. And we pick up a little bit this in, in that first description of us where it states that God will return us to dust Verse 3, you return men back to dust, saying, return to dust, as sons of men. And that alludes back to, you might remember, in, part, in early Genesis, in Genesis 3. And this is after, um, after humanity rejects God's commands and seeks his own will. That God goes, you're not, you're not going to live forever with relationship with me, but now I made you from dust, but now you're going to return to us. It was a result of, of judgment and of sin. We live in a sin-sick world now, do we not? I mean, just look around. You know? Maybe it's just me, but does not the news seem to be getting worse of all the sin and sadness in the world? Yet I think at the same time, when we look at a world that is so, so sad and so sick, we also need to look inside ourselves, do we not? Verse 7. We are consumed by your anger, and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. And this is the challenge with, like I was saying, with you only live once, that it's true we only live once, but all our days are lived before a holy God, are they not? All our days are lived by a God who can set all our actions and deeds before him. 
all our days are lived by a God who can put our secret sins or our maybe they're the sins that we you know the things we did when we were young or the things that we hide from others or even if you think of it, the things that we don't even know we do I think it's one of these things nowadays that when you look at um in a society which we, we tend to you know emphasize you know the good things that we do do we not you know if you write a resume you you put on your best self you know if you you know, your social media page, you put your, your best self up, you know, on the high points of your life. Um, God, sees, God sees the full resume, does he not? God sees um, the full status of the highs, um, but also of the lows, of the things that we don't want others to see, of the things that at times we don't even want to see ourselves. And so this is, at one level, a bit of a, it is it. It is a sobering picture, is it not? And where does it leave us then? You know, basically, life is short. It's fleeting. But you know, we we don't live long, and it's under judgment. We've seen verse ten. It actually sums this all up, doesn't it? Not? Verse ten and eleven. The length of our days is seventy years or eighty, if we have strength. Yet this span is but trouble and sorrow, where they quickly pass away. Sorry, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. We all deserve wrath, do we not? And because of that, we realise that death is a result of our rebellion against God. From the beginning, the water around us, but we see it in ourselves too. And this is the big problem with trying to establish ourselves as not death, that it, it ends so much of the things that we put our time and efforts into, doesn't it? Where you live, your friends, your family, your work, your achievements. Death is the ultimate destabilising tool that depresses, that brings everything at one level back to dust. And it's one of those things where it is important, though, as we with this psalm, is that we, um, we keep reading, isn't it? It doesn't finish there. But part of dealing with this is understanding that facing thing, sin and death is how we can actually be in touch with reality. That not facing sin and death is how we are out of touch with reality. That understanding that we, there is an eternal God, that we have limited time, that we are helpless, that we are hopeless, that we know ourselves to be sinners. That we find that the wisdom is, know, is to know how to live in light of these, these truths. And that's what we see in that, 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 that 12th verse, is it not? To teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That a heart of wisdom knows that time is short, that there's an eternal God. So where now? Well, we have a God who is not like us, is he not? He is timeless. And we'll read in the rest of this psalm that he is a God who is very different and he is a God who gives us hope for all eternity. And I hope we can see there's, there's three links where we see how God can not only in some ways establish us in this world now, but establish us for all eternity. 
So look with me. So, um, there's, there's a little hint you might have noticed in verse 1 where Moses says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place through all generations. There's a hint there, isn't there, that even though life is so fleeting, that there can be a resting place, a resting place that has lasted all generations, a resting place that can give refreshment, a resting place that can give protection, a resting place that, in fact, is not even so much a place as we look at how God has worked in the world since, but it's in a relationship, in the sense that in God we're at home. But not only that, not only do we have a God who is eternal, that can be our home, we see a God who we can return to, that in some ways we have broken that relationship, but that we, we can return to that. We can return to that relationship where we can again experience God's favour and his goodness and his compassion, that he can give us joy and gladness. And that's via connecting ourselves and satisfying ourselves with God's love. And we read of this in that next part of the passage, do we not? Verse 13 to 15. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Return, O God, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. That way we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. Here we see God's unfailing love. I think it's one of those things that I guess, for me at least, you, you hear of a lot, um, of his covenant love, of a love that's you know, been forever. And One of the joys of being a dad is you get to read you know, kids' Bibles and in one of them it describes this unfailing love like this. It is a love that is never stopping never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the love that lasts eternity, is it not? It's a love that, that defeats death. It's a love that can satisfy in the morning, can it not? Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that every morning we can wake up knowing that there's the love of the Father that he has for us. A bit of an aside, I think sometimes I wonder why we don't wake up in the morning um, satisfied by God's love. We tend to think that, um, myself at least, that you know, hitting the snooze button and getting a bit of extra sleep will give us satisfaction and, and you know, strength for the day. But should not God's unfailing love do that? But we also see God's love in, in the works that he's done. Because in verse 16, may, may your deeds be shown to your servants and your splendour to their children. That, you know, as, as Moses looked back in time, as we can look back in time, we can see all that God's done. He's create, creating the world and saving the world and redeeming the world. But, above all, but in addition to all this, and I guess this is the, for me, still it's that, 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 challenge, that, that the amazingness of that last verse, that though we know God will endure forever, but we know that in some way, with his blessing, with his favour, that even the work of our hands can also have some sort of eternal significance. The fact that what we do won't end when we die or when Jesus comes again. And that's that third link to eternity, is it not? That God might truly establish 
the work of our hands. The God who established the world can establish the work of our hands. So I guess where does that leave us all now? You know, this song was written for you know, ancient Israelites and we're living you know, four and a half thousand years later in 2016. Is it any different? Look, I think it is. And it's because, because of Jesus, is it not? It's because of Jesus coming both times. The first time 2,000 years ago and also when he comes again. It's because of Jesus, I think, we can have even more certainty of these links that we can have to eternity. And one of the transitions that you might have noticed that, you know, from verse 12 to 13, it, you know, it goes from, you know, it's all really bad, then suddenly, come back, God. Can we be in your love again? And in some senses, it's the shift from, in verse 9, all our days passing away under your wrath, to verse 17, where the favour of the Lord rests upon us. And Jesus shows ultimately how all this happened, how Jesus took the punishment for the sins of the whole world and that we might not receive the wrath of God, but rather his favour. It's, it's a truth that's summed up by Paul. Let me read that in Romans 5, 8 to 9. That, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So we're all like this. And for us Christians, sometimes we can forget, I guess, how, in some sense, how sinful our sin was, how bad our sin was. So we can sometimes forget how God is still angry at our sin and still grieved at our sin. And I pray that we'll, we'll remember that a holy awe of God and a fear of God and knowing the anger and hurt that he has to sin might lead us to live lives that seek to please him and not to grieve him. And for, the, and for those of us who, who don't know God, who don't know Jesus, it's my prayer that you'll, you'll seek out this God of unfailing love, a God who forgives, a God who accepts those who trust in him through the wrath of Jesus, a God who, in John 36, says that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And that's, so that's for us. It's exciting, isn't it, that we can see how much the difference that knowing that Jesus died for us makes in knowing that that love will always be there for us. But what about the world around us? You know, what about all the sin we see around there? And that's where the fact that Jesus is coming again gives us a better clarity of how God will solve all those issues. Peter, in his um, sorry, Peter, the, the apostle, actually uses uh, the, the section where he talks about a thousand years is like a day, a day is like a thousand years to God, in a slightly different context. People at that time were saying, you know, when's God going to come back? You know, when is he going to finally bring justice to the world? And so Peter says, well, you know, God is very different to us. His timing is different to us. A thousand years, like a day, a day is like a thousand years. But it gives us that knowledge, isn't it, that there will be real justice in this world one day. That when Jesus comes again, all rights will be wronged. That, you know, that picture in Revelation where the martyrs are crying out for God to return, that he will return. 
and that this world and this will become a new heavens and an earth established forever. Look, I guess you might be thinking now, well, you know, well, these are all good things. These are good eternal things, all good things in the future. But what about all this stuff that we're doing now, you know, the friends and the, you know, the, the, the house and the job? Where does this all fit in? And I think in a couple of ways. The first is that, first and foremost, we need to understand that we can only be truly established, not with things that don't last, but things in eternity, is it not? That we can be truly established knowing that we have an eternal home, that we can be in God's unfailing love. And so when we understand this, we see a lot of these things that we have, I think, are just um, you know, a bit like samples, a bit of a foretaste, a bit of a, a beta version, you know, the first attempts at things. And so, you know, as good as you know, the, the options that money can give us, that we know that moth and rust, inflation, change of tax laws, children can destroy, can they not? But we can have a treasure in heaven where we don't, where roads are full of gold, that money is just, there is actually no use for it because we will have perfection. Or even for the, the joys of friendship now um, and the joy that they give, what about in a future where we can be completely open to who we are, not worrying about in one sense, what we say or do because we'll be made perfect in Christ. We don't have to create personas to make us look good. Um, that we'll be in a community of believers who all you know, have made their, their home in God. That our church body won't be just these people here. You know? That our church body won't be you know, maybe in that church plant that we'll have in a few years to come. Because it's going to be hard, isn't it, as we break relationships and we have to move away. But how exciting is it that we're going to have a heavenly home where there are many rooms that we'll all come together again in perfect friendship. And, you know, in some senses, though it's not a home, you know, it's people. The, the picture that God gives is it's people. But won't it be nice not to have to do renovations, repairs or maintenance or worry about being evicted or, you know... Or, Think we can have a, a dwelling place with God. In fact, God will live with us. That we'll have that as much as we struggle now in some ways, you know, I feel it now, you know, with trying to stay healthy to, 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 to delay the effects of aging and death. There'll be a time when we're given new bodies, will we not? That we will have an existence that is about praising God that it's not painted specifically, but it sounds better than all we can imagine. So Lord, I think, as, sorry, as, as we look at our current time as, and as we look at the future, might it be that we understand God's love? Or might I understand that even our death can only bring us um, closer to you? Let's pray.